0: Thank you for checking out our podcast today. We hope that the teaching you're about to hear would inspire you and motivate you on your incredible journey in becoming a better you. So please turn your attention to today's message. So the past month, this whole entire month, we've talked about Kinonia. What is Kinonia? Amen. And so Pastor Jose talked that fellowship is as important as worship to those that are called Christians. He also said that it's not about friendship, it's a command. He said that it involves mutual ground and impartiality. He challenged us to make a commitment to be better to our church family, to work hard on being present in every area in the life of our brothers and sisters to look for ways in the lives of, to, to help in the lives of your spiritual family, to work in showing that, to plan on hosting a family or plan for lunch or coffee. And then we had two weeks of listening to our assistant pastor, Pastor Papo. That was awesome. I mean, Pastor Jose was awesome too, but it was awesome to hear two weeks of Pastor Papo, uh, Pastor Papo as well, right? And uh, He talked about what, what do you remember? He talked about the, the do's and the don'ts, right? Of fellowship. And so he said to us, he challenged us to have a heart to serve, to put others before ourselves, to choose to encourage others and to not settle for less. He said that kinonia is not not to confuse it with socializing, with fellowship, no not to not to confuse socializing with fellowship, because one serves while the other is served. He also talked about that not fellowship, uh, that when we fellowship, we should not have any hidden expectations or agendas. He said that we um, shouldn't allow anyone else to shake our character and and to not rush to disapprove those that we come in contact with. So, that's kind of the summary of where we are, amen? I still encourage you to go and listen to the podcast and listen to um, uh, the live sessions on Facebook because there is so much in there that we need to just take out, take away. So, today, I wanna talk about also kinonia, but I wanna focus on community and on communion and in unity. Also, definitions and words that are related, that are part of what kinonia is all about. I wanna talk about covenant relationships. The covenant relationship between God and us and between each other. And I will go a little further and explain what a covenant is all about, because God is a God of covenants. Right? And those are spiritual relationships that he and commitments that he makes with us and that we make with him. But whenever the person or the one that's, that establishes the covenant is responsible for making that covenant to come to pass, and throughout biblical history, throughout from the very beginning, um, we see where God operates in covenants and is true to it. Amen? And so we'll talk about that. And so when we talk about communion, and, um, I, it, we're talking about oneness. We're talking about walking together, about living together, about experiencing together the love of God. It's more than just, it includes communion, right? And because of this and what happened here, in the cross, with the bread, with the blood, with the oil. It, go, it, 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 it grows us into what God's original intent for us was. So when we talk about communion, we're talking about that shared experience and those shared values and those shared um, thoughts. And communion is where I'm free to, when we do communion right, according to God's original plan, is where I can come to God and to my brethren in a more deeply intimate relationship, where I can speak and can share my thoughts, my feelings, my concerns, my doubts, and be able to just together work these things out. But I'm not afraid to be transparent. I'm not afraid to be authentic. It, that's what kinonia com- is all about. That's what communion is all about. And so that's what um, I believe God wants us um, to focus on today. My hope. Is that at the end of today, you remember that when you commune and spend time with God and you commune and spend time with each other and your brethren, that it is a purposeful time that is intentional, that is generous, that is united, that is strives towards unity, and that you never forfeit. The blessing by isolating. There is a blessing in the communion. There is a blessing in unity. And some of us are hurt and some of us don't understand why the blessing is not being manifested. And many times it's because we're forfeiting that by not being in communion. So I want to start with, I always, when I want to learn something in the Bible, I go to the origin, right? I go to my example, which is Jesus. Jesus. And so many times we talked about all that Jesus did on Earth, and what are some and some of the things that we talked about, right? We we go to Sunday school and we learn about that he fed the five thousand, right? And we are marvel at the fact that there were only twelve um, that were just uh, lo- a few loaves of bread and a few f- pieces of fish. We also know that he walked on water, and we marvel at that miracle, correct? We know and we always say, well, he he transformed water into one, the first miracle. We talked about how he healed people, and we love all these major things that are flashy because that's how we are in society, right? We want all the flashy things. We want to be put on Facebook and do a—I uh, guess if Jesus was here during this time, it would be all over Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You know, we will all be just walking around with our little phones trying to find Jesus and take a picture, snap at something, and see, oh, I caught this miracle, missing the opportunity of being in his presence. Because all we wanna do is just get that picture and put it on on Facebook and make it it part of our story. And then we go home after we post it, and what we will do is we just sit there looking and see how many likes we got and and how many friends. And so, oh my God, I only had 24, 24 likes, so guess what, I'm gonna repost it so I can get more likes and then I'm gonna share with all my 600 friends that I don't even know who they are but they just asked to be in my community and then ask them to post it because I want the likes. And so that's how I assume was also in the town where Jesus was because they heard of his miracles and the crowds came, right? So while they didn't have the million or 10 million followers, Jesus had more than enough followers, but the majority of his ministry did not take place in those large crowds or in those miracle moments or in those times um, where everybody was watching. That's not where the majority of his ministry took place. The majority of his ministry took place in in Kinonia with the 12. Twelve of the most unlikely people you could ever imagine. I would not have chosen half of them. But that's just me and I'm not Jesus. Amen. Is it okay if I take this off? Thank you. Twelve. 12 I was looking at twelve teenagers. Because, you know, I, I, looked at, I, look, I look at the pictures and we always see pictures of these older men and we think, oh, those are the disciples. But the reality is... That Jesus chose 12 teenagers to turn the world upside down. 12 teenagers that sometimes we discard because they're teenagers, right? But that's who he chose to turn the world upside down. Thank you. Some of them were fishermen. No one was above the age of 30. Because during that time, the students were younger than the teachers. And we know that the teacher was 30. We know that Peter was perhaps the oldest because Peter was married, but they married young, so he might have been around his 20s. We know that some of them were educated and some of them were uneducated. We know that Peter was a little crazy and he will just cut your ear if he needed to, right? We know that Judas will betray you at a heartbeat. We know that Thomas will always doubt whatever you were saying. We know that John wanted to always be known as the loved one. But Jesus chose those 12 to create his, to be in kinonia with. And so I want us to think about the last time that they were together, the last time that they were going to eat bread and have a dinner together, because most of Jesus' ministry took place either when he was going to dinner coming from dinner or at dinner right there's some bibles there's a bible verse that said that he some people call him gluttony that he he was he was gluttonous but it was in those moments of intimacy where jesus revealed himself where he was able to encourage us encourage them to talk about their purpose into their lives, to tell them what was to come, and it's in those moments in kinonia within each other that that ought to take place. It shouldn't be a moment that superficial. Kinonia is not superficial. I shouldn't leave a house and not get nothing, you know, and just chit chat. That's one thing that I'm not good at. I always say um, it's very difficult for me. To just chit chat because I want to get to the root of what makes you tick. I want to be able to just hear your heart and know where you are and I want you to hear my heart and I want to in uh, you know converse with you and challenge each other and I know what you know and what you need that's what I want so when you come around me I'll chit chat for about 30 seconds and then you see that I start getting like angry, right I'm start like okay when are we gonna get to the to the deeper things, to the things that matter. Where you challenge my character and my commitment and I challenge yours when I can see your heart and all I have to do is say, God, let's pray. When you see me, when I can tell you that I mess up a lot and I know that you're not gonna judge me for that. So during this time, if we can go to that first or second slide, the one about communion. So it was one of during these times where they were celebrating Passover and that's very uh, important because the people of Israel only came four times to the celebrated about four feasts and those were the only times that they came towards the temple and so they were important times and remember that I said about covenant and so it was on this evening one of those moments where they celebrating Passover, the remembrance of Jesus freeing them from Egypt. Amen. He had made, he had heard their cry and provided a deliverer, which was Moses. And then on, before they left, Egypt said, on the night before you leave, I want you to kill a lamp and I want you to paint the doorpost. And when the angel of death comes through through the land to kill the firstborn, he, he will pass over your house. So it was on that night after they did the celebration that Jesus was sitting with his, um, with his disciples. It was in that night before crucifixion, before Judah was going to Betray him before the soldiers came together. Where he took time to teach them about servanthood by washing their feet, to predict his betrayal, to comfort comfort them, by promising peace. He was then when he emphasized oneness, unity with the Father. He was there at that night um, where he explained the need for and the role of the Holy Spirit that he will be a helper to us, that he needed to go so he, uh, the Holy Spirit will come. It was in that night that he reminded them that they were no longer servants, but they were friends and that the secrets of God will be revealed unto them. It was that night, it was during that moment at the table where he reminded them of their position in him. He reminded them of their appointment and mission. He said that they had been chosen, placed, and purposely placed, Planted to go and bear fruit, to be Jesus's witnesses, because they have been with Him from the beginning. It was that night He loved them enough to prepare them to tell them that when that what was to come, so they could not stumble or be caught off guard. It was that same night and that same moment when Jesus said to Peter, 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 Satan is asking of you, but when He's done sifting you, go. And reconcile your brethren. It was that night where everybody was concerned about when he, where, what, who was going to betray him, and they perhaps missed a little bit of his teaching. But it was in that night that Jesus took the bread and said, Let me take it. He took the bread and he said, Gave, he gave thanks to God and broke and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in memory of me. This represents my perfect body that is going to take upon it all the sins of the world, the ones that were, are, and are to come. The sickness of the world. And it's going to be broken. It's going to be broken for you. His body was never broken. It was pierced, but the word of God says that it was, um, that his body was broken so we are healed in him. It was his body. This represents his life sustaining to us. It was in that moment of koinonia that he reminded them that I am the bread of life. If you eat, remember Jesus says that he was the bread of life. You eat of it, you never go hungry. It was, This bread of life that was teaching his followers that he alone was the true substance, that it was necessary for his body to be sacrificed so we can be one with God and with each other. It was that night that he says, but he was wounded and bruised for our sins. That's what the Bible says. It was his body. And then he talked and said, and every time you do this, remember my work in the cross. Remember that, and I just came for you to be saved. But I came from everybody around you to be saved. I came so you will tell the world about me and what happened at the cross. He didn't stay at the cross. But when we eat this in community, we're telling each other what God had done for us. To free us from sin, to heal us, to give us peace, to reconcile us, and to restore us. This is what the bread does. And then that night he also took the the cup, and he said, "This cup is God's new covenant, sealed with my blood, which is pour. I won't pour it. Pour out for you. The blood of Jesus. That's what it represents. The blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus that covers a multitude of sin." It was necessary for it to be poor because part of these agreements that God always made with his people, whether it was with Noah, whether it was with Moses, whether it was with Abraham, whether it was with David, they all needed a sacrificial lamb. And so this new covenant, this covenant of Kenonia, this covenant of grace, needed a sacrificial lamb, needed the pouring out of of the blood to be sealed, to seal it. And that's what this cup represents. The cup represents his willingness to come from heaven, his willingness and love and grace of God to bankrupt heaven so he could create and recreate that oneness that once existed at the very beginning in Genesis. It's a cup of redemption. Jesus was sent here to redeem us, to bring us back to the kingdom of God, to bring us back into full relationship with, with God, our Creator. It reminds us, it's a, it reminds us that cup reminds us That without that, we will have no relationship with God. Because God is good, God is perfect, and he can't commune with sin. So it was necessary so we could commune with him. It talks about a new covenant because there were other covenants, right? And all the other covenants were things that we needed to do, the Ten Commandments or, you know, in the, old, in the Old Testament and in the New before this, before Jesus died for us. People will only be able to go to church once for forgiveness of sin. But this new covenant gave us direct, direct access to the great I am. Direct us as- access to the Holy One. It was that covenant of blood, of grace, that we're under right now. Because if you read the Old Testament, I wouldn't want to be in the, under that covenant. I would probably be stoned by now. <laughs> right? That covenant is a chosen relationship. Think about it. Our creator wanted to be in relationship so much with us that he sent the, Jesus himself because there was no other sacrifice that could take place that would redeem us in this way. It couldn't be another lamb. It couldn't be another animal. It had to be Jesus himself. The covenant is the promise that God makes to us, mankind that he will forgive our sins and restore communion. The covenant and his death on the cross is the basis of all the promises that we take hold at this moment right now. He defeated death, and that's what that covenant, that cup represents. The goal of this new covenant is the goal of redemption, communion, and reconciliation. And I want to talk about the cross because after this, Jesus was betrayed. He was taken. He was beaten. And he was hanged on this cross. A cross that is empty because he didn't stay there, right? He resurrected. And the reason that we can stand today in communion with each other, talking about communion, is because that cross is empty. At the third day, he rose and lived again. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19 says, But all things are from God, who through Jesus Christ reconciled us to himself, received us into favor, brought us into harmony with himself, and gave to us the ministry of reconciliation, that by word and deed we might aim to bring others into harmony with him. It was God personally present in Christ reconciling and restoring the world for favor with himself not counting up and holding against men their trespasses but canceling them and committing to us the message of reconciliation of the restoration for favor so after this Jesus went to this and so we like a lot to talk about this vertical relationship that he restored. On the day he died, the last breath he took, the veil in the temple was ripped from top to bottom. That's that's important to remember as we're talking about communion because it meant that no longer there was a separation between man and God. No longer I needed the priest to be without sin, So, my sins will be forgiven and heard. Now, I could sit myself in the seat of mercy. But if you look at the cross, there is also this section here, right? It was at that moment that He reconciled us with each other. That now I ought to live, and He reminds us that we ought to live a life. That whatever I do, however I love, whatever I say, will always point to the cross. That I love and live according to, love and live out loud, according to the way that God, Jesus, lived. That his sacrifice at the cross, his bread, his wine, is not for naught. That I'm representing this covenant in such a way that others will be attracted to that cross. That others will be attracted to my king. That others will wanna become part of this new covenant. What The way I love and the way I live should always point to the cross. We tend to focus only on the reconciliation between God and I, and that's me and, you know, I work my own salvation. We love to use that verse. And then we don't care much Or we sometimes disregard how others are doing. It is our responsibility to live live a life that will point to Jesus at all times. The message of reconciliation is that God, that Jesus is the reconciler and that it all happened at the cross. Reconciliation involves a change in the relationship between God and man and man and man. So when we talk about reconciliation, we're talking about the totality of God's creation and himself in the middle. We know that we're only reconciled because God was sacrificed. Jesus was sacrificed. And as a society at large, that reconciliation makes us no longer enemies of him. It allows us to put our, in our heart through the Holy Spirit whom He has given us and wanted us to be, that reconciliation gives us a space to love unconditionally and lavishly. And as I was thinking about this reconciliation, you know, I, I'm an educator. And I always think about, I have a heart for the church and our place in history and in the community. And so as I see larger community outside of us grappling with so many topics, right? As an administrator in a higher ed, I had to grapple with topics of educational gap and technology gaps and my students being um, kicked out of their homes and I don't know where they are or sickness and death and They have children that they need to take care of, and they're working full time, and some of them don't know what direction they want to do. But they're also dealing with other things. I I teach and I work in North Philly, not the easiest neighborhoods in Philadelphia sometimes. So we're grappling with violence. The other day, maybe two weeks ago, I came to campus, I closed on Tuesday, I went home, and between Tuesday and Friday, Wednesday morning, now we're on the third floor, of a beautiful building, beautiful campus. There was a bullet that went through the window of the college. I still don't understand how a bullet could go that high. But the people that shot that bullet are hurt. I can't be mad at them if I'm not doing anything. Our society is grappling with all the things, issues of diversity and acceptance. We have high numbers of suicide and the church and our country, sometimes we are the most divisive voice that exists at the moment. But the work of the cross needs to be represented even in those areas. I can't walk around saying, Oh my God, look all that is going on when I don't even talk about what God Christ has done. How he brought us to himself. The answer to all that is going on in society at the moment is Jesus. It's not deep, I'm not a deep person, but I know this much. Jesus reconciled us to himself. I know that his original intent that it was for us to commune with him. I know that the enemy came and destroyed that and I was reading in Genesis that the first time when there was a murder in the Bible. Jesus didn't ask Cain, what did you do? Jesus asked, where is your brother? because he was more interested in our relationship with each other than whatever else there's a there is a proverb an African proverb that is how are the children meaning the health of your community is how your children are prospering how your children are growing the health of the church is not about age it's about how the children of God are impacting the world for the kingdom of God. So my question is, how are the children? How are the children? And so, there's one thing that I sometimes say and when I pray is I repent. Because it's comfortable sometimes to be in my office and with my paperwork and just say, I'll pray for you. And that's it, it's comfortable. But God didn't call us to be comfortable. Because we talked about kinonia amongst ourselves, but kinonia amongst ourselves has to impact the world outside of ourselves. Amen? Amen? Love is the answer. And so I'm not making a political statement. Please don't take, the, take it this way. But if we put love and we walk in love, and we live in love, and we represent love, then the amount of division and hatred in this country wouldn't exist. It wouldn't exist. It's hard. The work of reconciliation is hard because it de- requires to, take out, to be outside of my comfort zone and do something that I'm not wired to do all the time. Love is patient, love is kind, and it's not there. It does not envy, it does not boast, it's, a, it's not proud. It does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always persevere. If I just take he- hold of that, And implement that with the person that irritates me the most, reconciliation will take place. Healing will take place. The cross will be honored. The cross, Jesus, who after resurrected, after being dead, went to hell, took up all the keys from hell was victorious, came back, presented himself to the women, to Peter, to the disciples, restored restored, um, Peter, reintroduced himself to the 500 and went to heaven and left us this, go and make disciples, go and show my love, go and present the kingdom to the world. The kinonia is not an inconvenience, but a necessity. What Pastor Jose said is a command. During the Church of Acts, if you can do the two Bible verses together, that would be great. It says all the believers were in fellowship as one body. Acts 2:42 to 47 every believer was faithfully devoted to following the teachings of the apostle. Their hearts were mutually linked to one one another, sharing communion and coming together regularly for prayer. A deep sense of holy awe swept over everyone. I want to highlight that. And the apostles performed many miracles, signs, and wonders. The next one says, all the believers were in fellowship as one body, and they shared with one another whatever they had. Out of generosity, they even sold their assets to distribute the proceeds to those who were in need among them. Daily, they met together in the temple courts and in one another's homes to celebrate communion. And in here, it means this, the remembrance of the body and the remembrances of the, of the, of the blood, Okay. They shared meals together with joyful hearts and tender humility. They were continually filled with praises to God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were coming into them, in, uh, coming to life. The two things that I want to highlight there a deep sense of holy awe swept everyone. And the next thing is daily. The Lord kept adding to their number daily, those who were coming to life. Just a little bit of context. Current, the church of Corinthians, this was written, the church, the New Testament church, was located in a place that was very diverse, but people did not relate. Sounds a little familiar, correct? And so you have Jews now and Greeks coming to life, to the life of the kingdom, meeting together. You have men and women, you have slaves and masters, right? Now living in unity, sharing on everything, things that never would have happened had not the cross be the center of it all. And so, yeah, it created a sense of, oh, because people knew, oh my God, there's a Jew and a Gentile, a Jew and a Greek, sitting together at the table, sharing communion, eating, and sharing all and on everything. There was only one thing that could do that. There's only one thing that could have achieved that. And it was the message of reconciliation that they were sharing with the world. That's only one thing. And the next thing it says, and the Lord kept adding to their number daily those who were coming to life. And so, I said to myself, "What change? What change? If in the first century their numbers were being added daily, and in this century the numbers have been deducted, what change? Just a little bit. Let me find my." research. The percentage of Americans who do not identify with any religion has grown by 21% in the last three years, 18, 19, 20, 21. In three years, more people are not identifying themselves with this. Church membership has declined by 15% in the last 10 years. In Acts, numbers were added. In one day, 3,000 joined the church. In one day, thirty-one percent of millennials have no religion affiliation whatsoever. Thirty-three percent of Generation Zs that have reached adulthood no religion affiliation. So, what change? So, I'm grappling with that. What change? I think partly. It's because we weren't focusing on Kenonia anymore. We've been focusing on our individualistic blessings. We've been using Jesus as our genie. I'm gonna give you a thousand so you can buy me, so you can get me a bigger car. I wanna fly in a jet. So if you wanna be blessed, contribute to my jet. When you hear some of us speak to others in, with hatred and judgment, why would they want to be part of that? The Bible says that he came so we may have more love, life more abundantly. We love to recite John 3.16, but we forget John 3.17. John 3.17 says that he did not come to judge the world. But we are busy from here, from this pulpit, with this mic, judging, 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 judging. You're going to hell. Jesus didn't even mention that. He said, we should be saying, you're going to life. If you get to know the God that I know, the one that died for my sins, the one whose body was broken, whose blood was spilled, if you get to know him the way I know him, my provider, life-given, as my dad, all your concerns. Yeah, you're going to be concerned. Yes, we're going to have difficulties, but it's so much better with him. So what happened? Our focus changed. It was no longer on what God wanted us to be focused on. And so then we start blaming them, right? We start blaming those that have left because they left, But the reality is that they want what we have, but we're not giving them. They want authenticity and consistency. It's what I want. What God wants from us. God wants us to be authentic and consistent. They want less focus on religiosity and more action. The only time that Jesus judged anyone was the religious leaders. That were making it difficult for people to come into the kingdom. That's the only time. He did not judge the woman who was committing adultery. We would have. We would have like, oh my God, did you see what she did? They took her right out of her house. They had to go get her. My question is, where was the man? Because you can't commit adultery on your own. But yet they brought that woman. And then everybody had a stone in their hand ready to... And God said, if you are without sin, then go ahead and do it. And when they all left and Jesus raised his eyes, he said, where are they? Where are they? Now, I know Jesus had a sense of humor, right? Where are they? Go home and sin no more. He didn't say, you adulterous sinner, hussy, blankly blankly blankly. (laughs) begging. Don't sin no more. Now you go and I'm gonna stone you. He didn't say that. He said, Go home, don't sing no more. (laughs) Anyways, I know my time is running. (laughs) They want more time focused on service. This next two generations, now I'm a generation not millennial and I'm not as generation Z, but you know, I'm one of the ones before that. (laughs) All right? whatever that was. I'm not a boomer, okay? Because <laughs> one of my students said, I said, what generation do you think I'm out? I said, boomer. I'm like, you're getting a F. <laughs> they want more teaching and less blaming. Stop blaming the culture. Stop expecting them to do what we didn't do. They want to feel welcome. They want a community. They want to return to the New Testament church where there was they don't care about if they, they don't we we care about oh we gotta make the church cool guess what the message of the cross is cool it's amazing yeah we have to adapt with the times but the message never never changes they are looking for enjoyable insightful and meaningful m- sermons we wanna water down the sermon. We're watering, watering down the message because we don't wanna offend. But guess God, Jesus never cared about that. He offended people to repentance. And that's what we need to do. They want community. Yes, they are on the internet a lot, but guess what? They want community. They want kinonia. They wanna be with each other, with us. They wanna be, they wanna be love. They want to be understood. They want to have a place where they can doubt. Timothy doubted. And Jesus didn't kick him out of the disciples. Instead, he embraced them, answered the questions, and let them grow. They want unity. And so I want to finish with these next Bible verses. They want to be met where they are, just like Jesus met us. I love the Psalms 133. And when I was ta- thinking about the blood the bread and the cross it's all about unity with our father we were wired out wired out to be in in, in unity with our father in kinonia it's in our DNA that's why we long for it and I'm an introvert believe it or not and I can say sometimes that I would rather be in my little room but the truth is I still long kinonia all of us do all of us. And it's not just like, oh, I want to hang out with you. I long that intimate relationship with my Creator. That intimate relationship with the ones He created. Amen? Yeah. Psalms 133, if you can put it out, says, and let's do the both of them. How truly wonderful and delightful. Another verse that says, behold, is to see brothers and sisters living together in sweet unity. It is precious as the sacred-scented oil, and we'll talk about oil, flowing from the head of the high priest Aaron, dripping down to the beard and running all the way to the hem of his priestly robes. The next one says... The harmony, this harmony, can be compared to the dew dripping from Mount Hermon, which flows down upon the hills of Zion. Zion represents Jerusalem, which represents a place of worship. Indeed, that is where Yahweh, our Father, has decreed his blessings will be found, the promise of life forevermore. How delightful it is. That's what we that's what Kinonia is all about. It's living in unity. And it's in this place of unity that is compared to it says that it's precious as the sacred oil. The oil when people when Aaron was anointed, the oil, the anointing oil is an oil that is not just like regular cooking oil, okay. It has gone through a process, aromas have been put in, and it's only used in certain locations. So it's not the olive oil that I have in my kitchen table, kitchen counter, okay. This oil represents my covenant relationship with my God and with others. And in a covenant relationship, it's different than a contract, right? When we talk about this unity, we're talking about covenant relationships. It means that we are partaking of God's relationship and each other's relationship. In a covenant, it's not easy to destroy because what I'm saying is I'm going to give all of me and you're gonna give all of you, and together we're gonna make this relationship work. When God made a covenant with us, says, I'm going to give all of me, Saint Jesus, and I'm responsible for your for you. And all you gotta do is stay in communion with me, follow my commands, love me with all my soul, all my health, and Love your brethren, not as you would love yourself, which we love to say that. But truly, Jesus says, as I love them. What did Jesus do? He went to the cross for them. When we don't understand what a covenant relationship is, we treat it as a contract. And so a contract really says, I just love you as long as I feel like loving you. Okay. As long as you don't bother me, then I love you, but if you start bothering me, I'm just going to rip the contract and move along. A covenant relationship says, whether you want me to love you or not, I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you. It offers love and grace no matter what the other person does or deserves. In the oil, the oil was used to consecrate, to set apart those that were called To be the priests and to bring forth the presence of God to the earth. We are the priests. That's that oil. It is the oil that represents worship, but it also the oil was the oil that the the, uh, shepherds will put in the faces of the lambs so the gnats and the flies will not come and they, they won't be hurt. It's a healing oil. So if I'm hurt, I'm gonna come to, co- to communion to be in unity with my brother, so I can get healed. Christian fellowship is in- unique; it is sacred because it is fellowship united around Christ. The oil signifies worship, feasting, celebration, or in unity. Death separates people, but resurrection promises that we will dwell in unity. And I want to finish with this: it was abundant when he was poor. He didn't say he just touched the hair. It went down to the beard, to the collar, to the hem. I remember with a woman with the issue of blood, she t- touched the hem. Because when I touch the hem of his garment, I am healed. And so that's what oil is. And he talks about the dew. So in my dry places, I want, unit. I want to be in unity with my brethren because I get refreshed. My dry places where get revived and wet and life comes forth. And he talks that it's abundant. It's generous. And then he says the last thing. The last Bible verse says, It is there. Indeed, that is where Yahweh has decreed his blessings will be found. The blessing of God, of Yahweh, is found in unity. In unity with him and in unity with the brethren. So some of us, Are broken, hurt, in pain and we don't know what and I'm telling you the answer is because we forfeited the blessing by isolating us. I want to read this to you and then Rachel Hale Evans is a Christian writer and she wrote, the gospel doesn't need a coalition dedicated to keeping the wrong people out. It needs a family of sinners saved by grace Committed to breaking down the walls, opening doors, and shouting, welcome. There is bread and wine. Come eat and talk with us. This is not a kingdom for the worthy. It is a kingdom for the hungry. God bless you. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. If you would like to find information about who we are or how to donate so that we can keep doing what we're doing, please check us out at www.scarletnote.org. See you next time.